You are about to enter the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast on shockwaveskullsessions.com. And now your host, Bob Nalbandian. Shockwave Skull Sessions episode number 80, part two of the Great Thin Lizzy podcast with Scott Gorham, Brian Slagle, and Don Jameson. Of course, as I mentioned, this is a two-part episode. If you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to episode number 79, as that is part one of this Great Thin Lizzy podcast where Scott Gorham goes through the Thin Lizzy catalog from nightlife all the way through Johnny the Fox. And on this episode, episode number 80, we're going to start off with the album Bad Reputation here. Of course, this is Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, along with Brian Slagle, CEO of Metal Blade Records, and the great Don Jameson, comedian and co-host of That Metal Show. This is the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. You can reach us at shockwaveskullsessions@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Our homepage is Shockwave Skull Sessions. Plural, by the way, shockwaveskullsessions.com. Well, should we move on to 1977, Bad Reputation? Um, talk a little Bad bit rep. about this, because uh, Brian Robertson was kind of half in the band, half not at this point, right, uh, Scott? Well, at this point, Brian Robertson, Brian Robertson was definitely out. Mm. Um, in Phil's mind, he was out. Uh, and I'm saying to Phil, you know, Phil, this is a two-guitar band. And he said, you got this, man. This is your album. You got it. Just go. Right? So I was a little bit, you know, holy shit, you know, but, you know, I've never been handed the reins completely at this point, right? But uh, myself, uh, you know, Downey, uh, Phil, and Tony Visconti, we just dug in. And uh, we just started writing and writing and writing. And uh, Tony Visconti was great on, on this, this album. Uh, all the encouragement that, that was going on, but and I and all the songs, you know, whenever you hear a harmony bit, that's that's me doing all of the harmonies, right? And I, and and at the, this point, I was I kept talking to Phil, going, "We we need to get somebody else in here. You know, this is a two guitar band. This is not a trio band. Yeah, I can do this and I can do that, but when we go out." on tour, it's got to be, why don't we get Brian back in? And Phil's like, nope, that's it, he's gone, I'm I'm done. Phil, listen, he fucked up, he did some stupid things, but we really need to get him back in. Because I had written uh, a couple of things in these songs I specifically had, you know, Brian Robertson in mind to either play the lead guitar or do these little fill-in things, right? Uh, Which I didn't tell Phil at the time. But I'm hammering Phil the whole time. Brian, Brian, Brian was hit rough. Because I was a great believer in the Fab Four. If you keep the original guys together, uh, that that's the way to go. Right. right. And I finally, wore, I finally wore Phil down. Finally. And he says, okay, but this is on you, man. You know, when, when not if he fucks up, <laughs> when he fucks up, this is your fault. Right. And I, and I hands on, I'm going, fine, 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 great. Right. So I called Brian and I, I explained the whole thing to him. I could hear that he was a little bit, you know, reticent about the whole thing. I said, Brian, just come over here. And what, what you do, you come over, you play guitar, and you just shut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> so we fly him over. 
I'm, you know, we're playing what we've got, and I could see in his face when he saw that all these, you know, harmony centers were done, he was disappointed. He thought he was going to come in and play a lot more than, than he did. And I said, Brian, remember what I said? Just get in there, shut the fuck up, and, and play this and that and that, okay? And he did, and he played great. I mean, the guy walked in there, he would take one or two takes, and bang, it was done, right? And I was ecstatic, you know, going, see, Phil, I told you, man, I told you this was going to work. And, of course, in the end, it didn't work. So. <laughs> I went out and did one more thing, and it was out again. So, But uh, I, I really do believe that, he, you know, Brian was the right guy at this point in time to get on that out for those three solos that I asked him to do. Brian, what was your take uh, on uh, Bad Reputation? Well, I mean, I love this record. It was interesting, though, because, you know, back in like, you know, the 1970s, we didn't have a lot of inspiration about a lot of things, especially in America. And, you know, I heard a little bit about, about the, you know, what was going on with Brian, but I, I got the record, and I thought, oh, there's only three guys in the covers. Right. But putting out the record, I mean, another one of my favorite things was the some of the great songs of their Soldier of Fortune and you know, Opium Trail. That's Dancing the Moonlight, which. Is kind of a different song. Love it. Then again, Thimsy always did different songs. It's probably their second biggest hit, I think, in the States and in Europe as well, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Great songs, people without a cause. I do have one question, though. So, that, who wrote the lyrics for Bad Reputation? Oh, no, that was Phil. Was that, was that, was that autobiographical? Oh, well, <laughs> I know, you're going to have to ask him on that one. Right? I know. <laughs> you know, I, I think. You know, I think Phil lyrically did give, give himself quite uh, some uh, colorful leeway, but you know, he might have taken you know, you know, a bit from his life and uh, the, the band's life and all that, uh, you know, road life and all that, and and, and uh, put some little uh, artistic leeway in there, you know. But uh, yeah, I think the song rings true in in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean. When you asked me to Phil write the lyrics, I, I gotta keep reminding you that it was Phil who wrote all of the lyrics. That's what I thought. Uh, no, that was that was all Phil. Did I, did I just steal the conversation again? No, I guess I'm supposed to chime in. Um, Don <laughs> No, I'm here. I'm 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 taking it all in. You know, we're like we're also fans here, so it's. Um, but Scott, you know what Scott said was true. It's um, this was his album, and I think. Uh, I think the solo on Downtown Sundown is just absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favorite solos of any Zip Lizzy song. So, uh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously it was chaos with this album with Brian, um, which we didn't know at the time that, that we know now. Um, mm -hmm. Killer mix of songs, um, you know, top to bottom. It, you know, I, it could easily make the case for this to be my favorite. Uh, Thin Lizzy album because I just I really love the the I, you know you got you go from really super heavy song like Opium Trail into like a song like Southbound and it, it there's just so many and then Dancing the Moonlight is more of a you know right. kind of a swing thing and and then you and then back into like straight up heavy metal with Kill Without a Cause so there's there's a lot going on in this record and uh, well you know Don you're really right you know but we. Uh... We loved all those little nuances that we were able to put on into any of these albums, but you know, especially with uh, the Bad Reputation album, there was a there was a lot of you know feeling, kind of bits and parts in this in that album, which you know I, I'm particularly proud of. You know, I, I thought, wow, this 
This is really something I thought Tony Visconti did, did a great job, you know, production-wise on it. Uh, even though, yeah. you know, you're essentially just a, a trio, he, he made it, you know, a big production kind, kind of deal. Uh, you know, I loved it for that. The fellow Healthy gave me on that album. I thought it was great, you know. But, you know, I, and like I said, I was hoping that it, it was going to go back to the original Fab Four and it didn't quite happen. And then I got Phil Clinton's finger at me going, yeah, I told you, man, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right, Scott. That was that was an important move from you know John Alcock, obviously again who who done uh, Thin Lizzy's classic album Jailbreak, and then the follow up. But then we we moved over to Tony, which you know I love the production on this album. So I thought that was a a good new new phase of Thin Lizzy production wise with him, yeah. and then of course going into the the live album, which I assume we're going to talk about next. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just you know, just one thing about uh, that. Al, uh, going back to a bad reputation, uh, I agree with everything you guys are saying, and I'm thinking, you know, Dancing in the Moonlight was a, a quite a big hit on the radio for a short time, and I'm really surprised that didn't have the legacy of uh, uh, Boys Are Back in Town or or even Jailbreak, where it's still played on classic rock radio today, because that song I think could have really went in the mainstream as as like a Steely Dan kind of. FM radio hit. It was just such a great, great feel-good song. I mean, I think that that in Southbound, it just gave you that real happy feel-good feeling. Right. But Dancing in the Moonlight with the twin guitars and, and everything in that was just uh, it could have it could have had so much potential to become a, a huge, you know, a classic rock hit. Well, that kind of shows you the difference between America and the, kind of the rest of the world kind mm. of deal because those two songs you just mentioned, Southbound and Dancing in the Moonlight were big hits, you know, all all over Europe and Australia, uh, Canada even. You know, I heard, but America yeah. just did, didn't want to know, you know. So, um, which is a shame. You know, it was a shame for me because I'm American, and I would love to have been this, you know, big hit band in America because it's where I come from, you know. But it just it just wasn't meant to be, you know. So. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> well, let's definitely move on to one of my favorite live albums of all time, uh, Live and Dangerous, of course, 1978. Talk a little bit about that record, uh, uh, Scott. Well, that that was actually born straight out of, uh, and I always forget this guy's name, Show Me the Way. Peter yeah. Frampton, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Peter Crampton. You know, we were out on tour the summer of whatever year that was when he had the big hit. And that record, for God's sake, was on the radio every five minutes on every station. It was yeah. massive, right? And I mean, we were we had parked in some strip mall somewhere, and Phil's in the front, we got the radio station. And once again, wah, 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 wah. And Phil turns around to me and he goes, what the hell is this guy doing on stage to make the audience react like that? Which, what is he turning somersaults up there? He goes, hell, man, we could do that. We could do it. We could do it even better. And he <laughs> turns back around, faces forward, and we're both thinking. I'm going, yeah, you know, there's a. I think we could. And Phil turns around, and goes, hey, what do you think? You, a live album? You think we could do this? And I said, I don't know. Good. Because at that point, you had like a five-record deal with whatever company you're with, right? And does that constitute one of your albums? We didn't know. So we asked the management, and they said, absolutely. 
a live album constitutes one of the five records, you know. So at at that point, we're we're with uh, Warner Brothers, right? And we go to Warner Brothers with this idea, and Warner Brothers did not want to know about a live album. They wanted the next Thin Lizzy studio album. They did not want to know about the live album. You know, why why don't you give uh, the studio album to your last record company, and we'll concentrate on the studio album. And the management, to their credit, went, no, this is the next album. We're, we are going for this live album. And they had to relent, you know. So we had, a, you know, a pretty big tour. I think it was like a five or six months tour, which was culminating in, you know, I think five or six nights at uh, Hammersmith Odeon in, in London. And that's where it all happened, you know. So, uh, and that's where we did it. It, it. it was over, I can't remember how many I did. It was between four and six nights, I don't know, because we always did multiple nights there, right? But it was a place that we felt really comfortable in. It was kind of, uh, even the ushers, we were on first basis with these guys, you know. So, uh, and that's, you know, it, it's where it all happened. So, so uh, what, what questions do you want to know about uh, Life of Dangers? Well, why don't you set off, Don? Well, obviously, I mean, for me, I, I made my first comedy album, Live and Hilarious, based on uh, this record, and did tried to do my best Phil pose on the front cover, not looking nearly <laughs> as cool, but uh, I did, and I, I think I, I remember giving it to Scott in the dressing room at that metal show, and then uh, then I immediately saw Scott talking to like a guy in a suit. I'm like, oh boy, I'm getting sued already. The album's only been out a day. And then Lizzie's gonna sue me, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll the, see you in court, pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I mean, obviously, the, the the fury of the album, the, the, you know, the front cover of the album is iconic, and this really was, you know, back in the day when live albums meant something. These live versions have stuck with people over the years, and I know a lot of musicians, uh, you know, Kiss. To, you know, the people always want to hear the Kiss Alive or Kiss Alive 2 versions mm. of songs. Mm. And the same with Thin Lizzy. It's like, oh, my God, you know, that version of Still in Love With You is, um, you know, those guitar solos make the, the hair on my arm stand up to this day whenever I hear them. So, uh, cool. you know, just cool. top to bottom, this is it's, it's ridiculous. It's easily, you know, top three, if not number one, uh, my favorite live album of all time. Well, thank you. I mean, you brought up the uh, the album cover. Uh, I mean, that was kind of a an ordeal that we went through just for the front cover. Uh, because, you know, we had uh, three or four different photographers with us, uh, you know, quite obviously. So there were so many pictures of the band on this album. So we went to Phil's house and put up the screen and we had the, you know, the carousel gels and all that. What do you think of that one? Okay, what do you think of that one, right? And this went on for hours, you know, trying to pick out, you know, what, what are your favorite 100 photos of yourself, you know? Oh, my God. What are your favorite 50 of yourself? Oh, no, really not. Uh, then it became, uh, then it became the, we did an album cover, right? And who are all, all looking badass at the same time in one picture uh, is almost impossible. Right, mm -hmm. but and we're going. We're, we're 
love this carousel, which, which you know, and like, well, you know, that one's pretty good. And, uh, that, that one's all right. And then that picture came up of Phil on his knees, you know, in the leather trousers and all that, with the, you know, the basic car up. And we all went, wow, man, that is a striking pose. And Phil immediately ejected it. went, no, 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 this is... This is Thin Lizzy. It's not Phil Lyon at Thin Lizzy. Okay, on to the next one. And it went around the carousel again, right? And he's, every time we came to that picture, we all went, wow, man, that is such a great picture. And he didn't want to know. So I'm in the kitchen. We're at his house. And I'm in the kitchen with him. We're making coffee. And I'm saying to Phil, I said, you know, Phil, that is the picture. And he goes, yeah, I know. But... What I said before, this is Thin Lizzy, it's not Phil Lyon, Thin Lizzy. I said, yeah, 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 you know, we we all get that, you know, but that's the picture, man. That's the one we need to go with. And he went, yeah, I know. <clears throat> and that's how we decided on the picture, you know, that that was going to be the cover. And it, it really is. It was it was the right decision. Definitely. That is really an iconic shot. He, he yeah. wasn't going to get any better than that. It's funny, I was just going to say, it's interesting to hear the backstory on that, because I was going to say it's such an iconic photo and album cover, so you beat me to that. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Don on this one. It's my second favorite live album next to Kiss Alive, so it's uh, so many yeah. great songs on there. And so a lot of songs, I think, really, like Don said, too, just the, the live element of it brought on so much energy and, and stuff like, you know, Rosalie's great, and Still Love It You's amazing, Cowboy Song. Uh, I thought Suicide was really great, The Rocker. I mean, so many great things on here. I love Are You Ready To. So, so yeah, songs that you weren't really think of before, you're like, man, these, are, these really are amazing songs. But well, I, you know, the, no, I'm just saying, you know, when you're, when you're you know, live on stage, the, the, uh, the songs are a different animal altogether, you know, and this is what, this is one of the reasons why we needed to put this album out, just to let everybody know that this is what you know, the real fantasy is all about. It's not, you know, the studio stuff, you know, which, you know, you can see there, you know, there's merits, you know, there's some, you know, cool stuff in the studio thing, but this is what, you know, this, this is the real fantasy is live on stage. This is what we're all about. You know, you you, know, you keep talking about Kiss and their live album. And I got to say, I, I was never a Kiss fan. It, it's just, that's just the way I just wasn't a Kiss fan, but we did a, a tour with them in Australia. It must have been like five or six years ago, maybe even a little longer, right? And, uh, you know, the the first guy that came up to me uh, in the hotel and I said, was Gene Simmons, you know? We shook hands and it was like, what a great guy. And what's the singer's name again? Paul Stanley. Yes, Paul Paul came up and sat and <laughs> chatted and, and it, was all, it was all great stuff, right? And I thought, eh, you know what? Still not a fan, but but then I saw their first show, man, and I thought, oh my god, these guys are amazing, but I love these guys, you know, the, all the shit that's going on on stage, I had so much fun at that concert, I immediately became part of Kiss, Kiss's Army, right there, right there. <laughs> it's never fan. too late, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it, yeah. Exactly, right? I'm a Kiss fan, you know, so... So I, I, I'm so glad that we went on that tour just for that fact, you know, that I, I could become part of the, the kids' on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I love this album. Uh, one of my top three or four uh, uh, favorite live albums. I mean, this Strangers in the Night by UFO, uh, Priest, uh, Unleashed in the East, uh, Humble Pie uh, performance. Uh, it's it's d- definitely uh, top four, uh, if, if not top two. Uh, I think the song song selection is, is, is amazing. I think you really uh, uh, got a, a, for a double album, every song is just perfect and again back in those days the live albums meant so much nowadays i know they don't mean crap a live album but back in those days they were you know you mentioned frampton comes alive kiss alive these albums broke the band and i think this album it it did kind of uh uh, definitely gave uh uh, thin lizzy uh i think more popularity here in the states but i think it really could have been and the big big breakthrough because it's such a powerful album and the songs again so much more energy live it's like these are the way they were meant to be the the quintessential versions of these songs but uh yeah ab- absolutely yeah. i can't say a- a- enough about this album right and then there's the whole elephant in the room you know of well how many overdubs did you do on this album right yeah. <laughs> which is a which is a, a real tony visconti kind of driven thing and i we've never understood why he's gone down this road right the the first song that that it's, that we needed to actually do a rhythm track on, and the reason we had to do it uh, is because I'd walked out to the front of the stage, and there were no crash barriers at this point, right? And I'd walked out to the front of the stage, you know, practically with my you know toes hanging over the edge of the stage. These two girls came up and grabbed my pant legs and started giving me. <laughs> A leg massage, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, well, this is nice. You know, I'm kind of digging this, you know. And I'm not having to play any kind of you know, lead guitar at this point. So I'm just there kind of enjoying the whole thing, right? And then I realized I have to get back to my pedal board. There's a, a pedal back there. Yeah, so I'm struggling to get back. They're pulling on me, and I'm pulling the other way. And for some inextricable reason, they both let go. My hands go flying off the guitar. Each clam comes in, right? Thank <laughs> uh, you, ladies. I really appreciate the leg rub, but damn. So we've done, like I say, four or five nights at Hammersmith each. You know, we're checking out the tracks, and this is the night that they all want to use this track, the one that I make the hairy clam on. I'm thinking, hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate that, but I... And I had to admit that, you know, uh, everybody had, had played amazing on the night with that particular song. And it was just that one clamp I had dropped. So we had tried to drop in on this kind of one note, and it's not going to work. You know, you can tell that it's a terrible drop in. So it was Tony that said, uh, well, why don't we just, just re-record the whole rhythm track? And we all said collectively, whoa. That's cheating. You cannot do that. This is a live album, and that, this is where Viscani goes. Ah, that's not cheating. I do it all the time. I do it with Bowie. I do it with blah 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 blah. And we were like stunned that you know this even happened. You know, so I, I, you know, I oh, okay. So I do the rhythm track on this this particular track. I can't remember which track it was, right? But there, and I think the uh, the other. Uh, Overdubs we did was, you know, a couple of the background vocals because you know we were running around the stage and you run up to the microphone and go la 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 and then run away and it sounded terrible. Right? Mm-hmm. So we 
<laughs> did a, a few of the uh, the backing uh, the backing vocals, right? Uh, after that, there was no lead guitar done. There was no drums redone. Uh, Phil did not do anything at this point. So when when Tony comes up with like, yeah, you know, in the beginning he was saying, yeah, yeah, twenty five percent of this is in the studio, and we all look at ourselves and go, what? You know, what is he talking about? Right? Then five years later, it's like, yeah, you know, at least forty five percent is done in the studio. <laughs> What? <laughs> Jeez. And then we did a we did a BBC documentary, right? And I then saw that. got Tony Visconti on camera saying, yeah. Yep, at least seventy five percent was done in the studio. And that's when I jumped up out of the couch with the, the uh, director, the producer, wanted me to see a, a pre thing of this, right? And I said, There's no way. There's just no way. Yeah, I'm gonna let this man say this, right? He, and the producer went just wait till you see what Robbo says, right? And the very next thing is Robbo's going, fuck that, fuck this guy, fuck <laughs> I love that. Okay, all right, well, let's keep it in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you cleared that up, uh, Scott, because I wasn't going to mention anything about that, but no, uh, listen, that needs to be said. To about that. And it, it, it's an important fact because I Absolutely. was in uh, a bar last year at some point, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you that who the... Who the a guitar player's name was, and he, he's a very famous guy, you know. And he said, yeah, you know, with Live and Dangerous, I heard about you guys and all the overdubs you did, and, and what we did with our last live albums, we just redid the whole thing. And I looked at him, I said, no, 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 you, you can't do that. That is not what happened, you know. You cannot take these live albums and do that to these live albums. That's that's ripping the heart out of, you know, the, the whole live act thing. You shouldn't have done that, right? And he looked at me, and he went, was so embarrassed, he kind of scuttled out of the, the, the bar, and I haven't seen him since, right? But that's, see, that's the danger of this, of this kind of false information. That people take this as gospel, that they could do it too, and it's, no, you can't do this. You know, these are live situations, and it is what it is. You know, they're being able if something's really, really terrible, okay, you know, put a fix on it, but you don't redo the whole damn thing, you know. So I just want to stress that fact that you know, the, you know, there's there's false accusations going out there. I don't take any of that as uh, as gospel. I don't do it yourself. Right. And, and I think another important fact to stress is that um, I spent two weeks on the bus with Black Star Riders, and to this day. The ladies still love to massage Scott's legs. <laughs> it's true. I saw it with my own eyes. If these girls come backstage, man, they are giddy over Scott. Hey, hey it's a thing, man. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, Don. I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. You started something there, Scott. <laughs> All right. Well, let's we'll cut, try to kind of speed things through a bit here. We'll uh, move on to uh, 1979, a, a Black Rose. A rock legend, of course, uh, uh, Gary Moore comes into the picture, takes the place of Brian Robertson. Uh, talk about that whole experience there, uh, Scott. Well, you know, working with Gary, when, uh, Brian, you know, was finally ousted from uh, Finn Lizzy. Uh, you know, I was talking to Phil, and I said, "Jesus, man, well, who are we going to get on the right hand side?" You know, he goes, "Well, yeah, you know, ultimately, this is going to be your decision." Is you're you're going to be the one that's going to play with whoever on the right hand side. You, you know you've got to give it the green light. 
And I said, well, okay, but do you have any suggestions? He goes, well, the obvious choice is Gary Moore. Do you think you can you can play with Gary Moore? And I went, oh, hell yeah. You know, I love Gary's playing. Sure. You know, I mean, who doesn't like Gary Moore's playing, for God's sakes? Really? So, yeah. Right? So uh, I uh, absolutely, you know, green-lighted that, that whole situation. So now it was, you know, Gary, Gary in the band, you know, which I was delighted with, you know, this, uh, the whole thing is, is you, you don't want to replace somebody that's worse than the other guy. You want to replace him with somebody that's better, you know, and this was definitely a, you know, a better situation, even though I did love Robbo's playing, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, writing, you know, the Black Rose album was, uh, was it seemed to be very easy to do. It was really free flowing. Uh, everybody was in a great mood. We were now in a, you know, a tax situation where we couldn't record in, in England, so we had to go to uh, uh, France to, you know, a studio that, that Tony knew, Tony Visconti knew really well, and, and we started to record in in, uh, in Paris. Uh, Don, your thoughts on uh, Black Rose. Yeah, I mean, if, I guess if you're going to replace Robbo, you know, Gary Moore definitely fits the bill. I mean, two incredible players. Uh, I, I would assume, you know, two major headaches as well to be in a band with. But, uh, you know, sometimes the, the genius comes from the most troubled people. Um, but uh, his guitar playing is amazing. And uh, top to bottom, another, you know, solid and great record from... Thin Lizzy, Waiting for an Alibi, you know, was uh, was a bit of a hit. Um, one of my favorite songs from Thin Lizzy, Tough Street in Town on there. And then, of course, you, you have the epic, the epic, uh, yeah. you know, Roaching Dub, Black Rose, a rock legend, uh, finishing it out at the end, which, uh, you know, I get carpal tunnel just, you know, air guitaring <laughs> uh, the, the solos at the end. Yeah, and you know that's a that's such a great song to play live. You know, there's there's so many really great and different moving parts in that song, and for me, you know, really meaningful parts. Uh, none of these parts that were written and put into and recorded on the the Black Rose song were just thrown in. It was all thought out. Uh, you know, one one represented America, the other represented. Uh, Ireland, and uh, what, uh, the other was uh, the, uh, an English representation. So all the flags were represented on the on the on this uh, song the, on the Black Rose song, which I thought was a really cool idea. Yeah, this is a this is a really special album for me personally for a few reasons. Uh, number one, it was the only time I got to see Thin Lizzy with Phil live was on this tour at Long Beach Arena opening for Journey. Journey. And, uh, oh right. I, I'm a really great bootlegger of that show. Uh, but uh, it was, there are two shows, actually. But uh, totally phenomenal. I was just blown away. You know, I've been such a huge fan for so long. Finally seeing the band live was truly amazing. And also, we so when we had our deal with Warner Brothers in the early 90s, one of the aspects of that deal was that we were going to reissue re re a lot of stuff that hadn't been out on CD that Warner's had the rights for. We did Deep Purple and Alice Cooper. And we did the next five Thin Lucy records that we're going to talk about. And it was an interesting process because, you know, Warner's approved everything, and of course, being a Thin Lizzy, I don't want to do it, want to remaster everything, all this stuff. But there was one little issue with 
there was so much debt that they was he had had uh, it lined up with Warner Brothers with the estate and everything. We were like, well, we'd like to give you the okay, but you know we're not going to make any money out of it. So they were kind of hesitating. And to Warner Brothers' credit, they said, okay, we're going to wipe out all the debt. So they wiped out all the debt and paid everybody. Well, hopefully they paid everybody for record one, which they were supposed to do. And then we got the ability to release all these records. And I remember this was the first one that we went in to remaster. We did it with the great Eddie Schreier over at Capitol Records. And mm. So sitting in the mastery studio, we're doing it. Sounds amazing. I'm super excited. All of a sudden, the tapes start to fall apart on the machines. It's got this Ooh. real, 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 real tape. And I start freaking out. Like, oh, my God. These are the original masters. I'm ruining them. Warner Brothers is going to kill me. So I'm freaking out. And Eddie just goes, I don't worry about it. We'll just bake them. I'm fine. So put them in the oven, bake them. And they were able to actually do the mastering. And, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so came out. Of, Sorry, but the tapes were, had oxidized at that point? Yeah, the tapes were so old, they just been stuck in Warner's vaults that, that they, yeah, they just basically started coming apart. I, like, so I was literally having a heart attack, and he's like, oh, don't worry about it. And he fixed it, and we had to do that for all the other ones, obviously, too, just in case. But uh, that, was a, right. that was a real special moment, just being in the studio with the original tapes and have a little, wow. little piece in remastering it. I know a lot of places thought our remasters were really good. A lot of the other countries used them for their reissues and stuff, so it was super cool. cool. Wow, that's that's amazing that uh, you were actually in the studio. So you you were uh, one of the guys in the studio actually, you, you know, doing it. Yes, Eddie and I. Uh, I did this for most of the Metal Blade releases because I, I just love the process, and Eddie was such a cool guy. I mean, he did ninety nine percent of the work, but I was just a little extra gear going like, eh, maybe this and that. But you know, for these, I just wanted to be in there, just to be in there, right? and I have to thank no. you. Oh, so I thank you, Scott, a lot because you uh, were very uh, great with your time to help us promote these records. And I know you work with our guy John Sullivan to do some interviews and stuff. So I appreciate that. Sure. Are we are we talking about the box set right now? Is that what we're talking about? No. The, the, so we reissued Black Rose oh, and right. the next five records that were first time ever on CD in the U.S. Right, right, yeah. Well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad whatever I was able to help you with, it it, it helps, you know. Uh, I, I can't imagine what was going through your head when you, when you see the, the, you know, the tapes on the machines being fried, you know. That must have been a kind of a scary moment there, you Yeah, know? I, I think I was supposed to have a heart attack. Yeah, great album, man. I, I uh, love the album. Toughest Street in Town. Love that song. Love the lead. Gary's lead in, in that song, yeah. uh, Waiting for an Alibi. Uh, do anything you want to. Uh, uh, I got to ask you about M Mitch Ure. I know he uh, uh, did some of the touring after, and there's a, uh, I guess I could mention it because it's pretty infamous, uh, a, a fist fight that uh, uh, Phil and Gary had, I believe, at the San Francisco show of that Journey Thin Lizzy tour that... Uh, uh, or it might have been a day on the green tour, uh, and that kind of ended. Is, is that what happened? That was the last show with Gary no. Moore there. No, no, that's okay. The old Donald Trump fake news there. On that. Okay, <laughs> no. I've heard a lot of different <laughs> stories. <laughs> yeah, I know there is. I know there is. Uh, but I think we were halfway through this, uh, maybe a little more, on this uh, journey tour, and it was a, it was a really big important too a journey was right at their height and it was they were all sold out to, yeah. uh concerts and, and you know journey they loved thin lizzy you know the, the whole combination of journey thin lizzy uh, we all became great friends right but uh we had like a two-day break and uh the management uh, and gary wasn't at the hotel 
And, well, where the fuck is Garrett? You know, and the management is frantically looking around or calling around trying to find find out where Gary was because we got to get on the plane in about three hours' time. And he finally, uh, Chris Ladon finally gets a hold of Gary. Uh, and he's at uh, Glenn Hughes's house, uh, you know, of all people, right? <laughs> and uh, Chris O'Donnell said, so, Gary, are you going to get back to the hotel so we can get on the plane? And, and uh, all Gary could say is, you know, I, I get no respect from these guys. Nobody's respecting me. I get no respect, you know. Bill and I are looking at each other. What are you talking about respect? You know, we're all in the same band, for God's sake. Well, we all respect each other the same as, as, as anybody, you know. But he kept going on about, I get no respect. And yeah, what, what is he, Rodney Dangerfield? Dangerfield? <laughs> I don't know if Scott got that joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, Everything's no, I cool. Actually, I actually saw Rodney Dangerfield crossing the street on Santa Monica Boulevard one day. And I said, hey, Rodney, go tell you, how you doing, boys? That <laughs> 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 just me up with that, how you doing, boys? Yeah. And it looked like he, had, he was walking, walking across the street in his pajamas, for God's sakes. Oh, anyway. Anyway, so so Chris O'Donnell finally says, "Listen, uh, are you coming back? Are you are you on the plane? Give me yes or no right now." And he kept coming up with, uh, "You know, I get the respect and Phil says, right, fire." Right? And, and uh, Chris O'Donnell says, "Right, you fire." And slams the phone down. We get on the plane. I'm going, "Yeah, but <laughs> what are, what are we doing now?" And, and Phil says, "It's it's all yours, man." And I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you know, we got this is a two guitar, and I'm always on with that. This is a two guitar band, because it is, you know. And he says, well, we'll work it out, not a problem. You know, Neil Schoen stepped up to the plate. He heard about what was going on. You know, they did did not want us to, you know, quit the tour. Uh, Neil says, you know, I'll put two extra cabs on the right side. I'll put two extra cabs on the left side. We'll slam you all the lights. You know, you can use as many smoke bombs as you want, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, okay. And we kind of worked out how we were going to work out these sections in the harmony sections. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it worked. You know, we, uh, at the end of it, I know people don't do it anymore. We, we actually got an encore at the, uh, at the end of the set. So uh, I guess people liked, liked what they heard. But here's the funny thing. My parents were in the crowd, right? And my dad's this really honest, honest guy, World War II guy, right? And he's backstage after the show, and I'm all pumped up, you know, feeling good that, you know, we were able to pull this off. And I said, hey, Dad, you know, so so what did you think of the show? And he went, yeah, you know, I liked it. You know, I think I liked it better as a four-piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, so my, and so my original premise was correct then. <laughs> what was the original premise? That that uh, although although you you had uh, some genius guitar players in your band, uh, they they were a bit of a handful. Yes, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely right, absolutely <laughs> right. So that's when uh, you know mid year, uh, you know comes to the fore here, uh, and I said you know I talking to the fellas, and, you know we need to get somebody else in, we need to cover these harmony sections. Uh, you know I can't do it on my own. And he pulls mid-year out. And I said, he's a keyboard player. What are you talking about? He says, I don't know. He's, a, he's actually a good guitar player. And he knows the whole set. And I'm like, really? 
He knows the whole set. Okay. Well, okay. You know, let's let's get him in. You know. And I can't believe Midge. You know, he, it was such a brave thing to do. For God's sake, you know, you're you're being pulled out of your comfort zone. You're you, you can have a guitar thrown on you. Uh, it's a completely different kind of music than you're you're used to playing. Ultravox, uh, yeah. And dealing, yeah, ultravox, you know. So, but he gets, for God's sake, Mitch gets on the plane, uh, and he he's figuring, well, I got at least you know six seven hours. So I, I just put my headphones on, write notes down, <laughs> and the whole deal. But he's forgetting that he's on Concord. We buy him a Concord ticket, and it takes him three hours to get to where he's going. Right. So now he can he can't write any notes. He now he's kind of lost a little bit. I go up to his hotel room, and he and I spent like, I guess, four hours together in, in his hotel room, and uh, and the guy pulled it off. He, he, you know, it maybe it wasn't perfect, but uh, at the end of the night when he got introduced and Phil told the audience what the situation was, he got the biggest cheer of the night, and I was really happy for him that he that he got that biggest cheer. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome story. Well, let's get into 1980, brand new decade with a Chinatown again. Uh, a, a, of course, a, a change of guitar player, Snowy White, comes into the fold. Yes. Uh, how was it working with Snowy White? And talk a little bit about that experience in the studio with Chinatown. Well, you know, Phil and I first met Snowy at a Pink Floyd concert because he was he was uh, the second guitar player, right, uh, in, in Pink Floyd, and. Uh, there, there was one section of that concert where the spotlight hits this guy. We have no idea who he is at this point. It, it hits Snowy, and he, you know, he rips out this really great guitar solo. And I said, tell him, who the hell is that guy, right? And he goes, I have no idea. You know? So the concert ends, we go backstage, uh, shake hands with everybody, and I walk up to this guy. And I and I said so, uh, and I introduced myself. I said, "What's your name?" He goes, "My name is Snowy White." And that that's a name you're not going to forget, Snowy, for God's sake. And I said, "Wow, that was a really great guitar solo you played. That was that was really cool stuff." And uh, he, you know, thanked me, blah blah blah. And I didn't see him for I don't know uh, six months or so until it became you know yeah it was a time when. We had never done this, but we had open auditions, which I was totally against. But Phil thought he was gonna, we were gonna find the next great, you know, unknown genius guitar player, which we didn't. There must have been a, a hundred guitar players wrapping around this rehearsal hall in, in uh, uh, the, this movie studio that we were rehearsing in, and I couldn't take it any longer. I just couldn't take it any longer. I said, "Listen, I'm gonna." take a break and I'm going to walk into one of the other studios and I knew that you know who Cliff Richards is? Yeah. Devil right. Woman. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I got my uh, uh, buddy a gig with uh, uh, Cliff Richards. I thought I'd walk down there and, and see how he's doing and I uh, walked in there's Cliff up there doing, they're doing their rehearsals and who do I see? It's Snowy White. He's up there playing with Cliff Richards. And I thought, really? So that, that's really weird. Then you go from Pink Floyd to Cliff Richards. Wow, that's bizarre. You know? So I wait until they take a break, and I Snowy comes down, and I reintroduce myself. I said, you know, we're having a, 
uh, jam session down here. Do you want to come? Actually, you'd be doing me a favor if you would come down and just have a jam with us, right? And he said, yeah, no problem. And he brought his guitar. We already had amps up there. Brought his guitar down. Got a little sound up. Started to play, I don't know, some kind of blues thing or whatever. And Phil and I looked at each other and went, wow, you know, this guy's a player. He's, he's great. And we asked Snowy on the day, you know, what do you think? We got a tour coming up. What do you think? And he said, he said, absolutely, let's go do this thing. And that's how Snowy got into that. Wow. And you also added Darren Wharton uh, to that lineup on keyboards and kind of gave a, a, a new flavor to uh, uh, then Lizzie a little bit, uh, adding a it, keyboard player. It, it, it did. It was while we were doing the, uh, the Chinatown album. Uh, there's, a, there's a riff that, I, that I'd written. It just goes, diddly, 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 gang, right? And Phil said, uh, hey, Darren, can you, can you do that line? And Darren went, what? He went, diddly, 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 like with no problem. Uh, Don, your thoughts on uh, Chinatown? Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the opening song, We Will Be Strong, one of my favorites. Um, the, the riff in Chinatown is, uh, you know, I, I defy anybody to write a better riff than that. Um, Killer on the Loose, I guess, was a bit, bit of a hit, right? Um, it was. Yeah. Um, overall, you know, uh, I would say, honestly, you know, it would be uh, my least favorite of the Thin Lizzy albums, but not that it's a bad record, but um, there's a couple of tracks on here I wasn't crazy about. Right. I get that. I get that. A lot of people say Renegade is not their favorite album. See, I'm the, see that's where I'm, I'm the opposite. I yeah. love Renegade. I love how all over the place it is. You know, you, you start out with Angel of Death with Darren Wharton with the keyboards and it's pure heavy metal and then you go into this kind of soulful, kind of slow tempo Renegade song that, you know, builds into something. Um, the deep tracks on Renegade are are amazing. Pressure will blow and no one told them getting uh, it's getting dangerous that most, you know, obviously casual fans wouldn't know, but to me those are the highlights of that yeah. album, and then yeah, no, you, you pick out some cool ones. Yeah, yeah, they, they hit on that album Hollywood, and then you have the oddball songs like uh, Fat That's in Mexican Blood, mm -hmm. and I I love those songs. Yeah, me too. Great, great. You know, I, I wrote the music for Hollywood, and the management hated that song. Absolutely hated it. Right, but every subsequent guitar player that came in after that, they all want to play in Hollywood. You know, so yeah. I kind of, you know, the single finger up to the management at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Don on, on Renegade, too. That's one of my all-time favorite in the Zabs, actually. But I really like Chinatown. This is another one that we remastered. This time the tapes did not fall apart because we'd baked them before, so that was good. But, uh, <laughs> good. but I, I disagree with Don, though. I, I, it is one of my... I mean, there's not... All of the music records are great, so I don't know. This is my least—it's definitely not my least favorite, but it does include one of my fake, probably top 
definitely top ten and top five Thin Lizzy songs in Genocide, which I absolutely love. Oh, also, right. The album cover is phenomenal, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot about Genocide. There, there's some, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of cool riffs in, in that song in particular that's, uh, uh, that I always like. And, and as far as that, it, it's a song we never really played live, and I never quite understood why we, uh, as a band, got behind that song uh, a little more than, than we did. You know, the, the, the problem is when, when you've got such a large catalog, it's uh, you start saying to yourself, it's not what can we play, what are the songs that we have to leave out? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the situation we, that we found ourselves in the uh, Quite a few times is what songs we need to leave out. But yeah, when I, 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 I can, well, it's just because I find that it's kind of a positive. That's a good situation to be in, you know. Yeah, and when I say it's my least favorite Tim Lizzy album, that's that's still saying it's better than ninety percent of every other album ever. <laughs> so it's not, oh, right. like oh, one of them has to be the least favorite, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I totally agree with you on that. But. But yeah, I mean, it's great talking with you guys because there's a few of these songs that I, you know, I haven't thought about in, in quite a long time. And it's great if you guys can you know, bring this up so I can actually visualize these in my mind again. It's, you know, some of the stuff that uh, a lot of people don't know about, you know, there's, there's some pretty cool stuff out there that, that are unknown to uh, everybody else, except for, you know, guys like yourself who are you know, pretty well tuned into the whole thing, Lizzie thing. So cool. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's good that we're kind of combining uh, Chinatown and Renegade. Uh, obviously, both uh, uh, with Snowy White in in the band, uh, both were pretty similar. I I, I agree with uh, with 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 Don in a way. I I don't I wouldn't say Chinatown's uh, the least uh, favorite. I, I I love the song Chinatown and Killer on the Loose, uh, and there's definitely some some great songs on it. But Renegade. Uh, I, I I agree again that it's just got that diversity and songs like Fats again you you're you're going way out of your boundaries of what wow. you know the typical hard rock you know band would would do uh, with a song like Fats and 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 Mexican Blood and uh, you know and then you yeah. can rock as hard as 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 ever on a, a song like Angel of Death uh, lyrically yeah. again great album um, you know I definitely prefer renegade uh over uh but, but both great albums and it was it was kind of cool to hear uh uh you know snowy white uh you know a different guitar player a little bit different flavor you know a lot of keyboards added especially into renegade and in the song angel of death as, as dom mentioned the opening so uh, it kind of gave but then lizzie uh, i i don't know how big uh it, it the band really was uh at that point in america since uh I don't think you really toured much during those those couple albums in America, and uh, I don't know if uh, Renegade actually had a hit apart from uh, I guess Ho Hollywood was a little bit of a hit, uh, from what I yeah. recall. Uh, I know a little bit you later know, it became more of a hit on like KNAC and other stations. I think I think what happened really in America is uh, I think the our American audience over there just didn't trust us any longer. Uh, you know, we. We've, announce a tour and then the tour would fall apart for one reason or another. I think this happened for three or four tours in a row. Uh, and, uh, you know, the uncanny thing was, is it always happened in America? And I, I just couldn't believe this. You know, all this bad luck that was happening, it always happened in America. It, it wasn't uh, in, you know, Sweden or Germany or Australia or Canada. It was always in America. 
And I think the Americans kind of like, you know, yeah, I hear they're doing, but I don't think they're actually, <laughs> I think they're actually going to show up, you know. So uh, I think the the bad luck that we had in America really kind of kind of kind of spelled out our, our doom in a little bit of way over, over there, over, over with you guys. So that that's a real shame. Well, but I, I, I just don't know how that always kept happening yeah. in right. America. Well, interesting, interestingly enough about this is what I'm about Renegade now, which, you, again, I absolutely love. In fact, Angel of Death is definitely my top five Thin Lizzy songs of all time. And I, I was listening to it a couple weeks ago. It came up on my iPod in my car. And the lyrics, I mean, I was talking about Nostradamus and everything, but the lyrics pertain so much to what we're doing today. I was like, wow, was, Phil also must have been a, a psychic. But I was looking at something here, and, and Hollywood was number 24 on a mainstream rock tracks chart in the U.S. in 82, and Angel of Death was number 38 on the mainstream rock tracks wow. in the oh, U.S. in 82. Kind of surprising. The record only got to 157 on Billboard. But yeah. a couple of them might kind of, you know, I mean, was, you know, Hollywood top 25, that's, that's not too bad. That's yeah, bad, but so a, a, a couple of tracks actually snuck through there, right? Yeah. Well, you know, okay, I'll take that, you know, especially with, uh, you know, people mistrusting us and the bad luck and all that, I'll take that, you know, all day long, you know, that there's at least some sort of recognition over in America that, you know, there, there's, there were still people, you know, who were trusting us and hopeful that, you know, they were, we were going to get over there and, and play in front of them, so no, that's great, that's really great. All right. Well, let's get to the final studio record, uh, 1983, Thunder and Lightning. Again, very, very underrated record, uh, especially here in America. And I think what you're saying really holds true for this uh, record as, as uh, a lot of Americans, I think, kind of uh, just lost. I don't know if they lost interest or it was more the label. I don't think Warner Brothers really did much. It was great that, uh, you know, Brian and... Uh, uh, Metal Blade reissued the record. I think it gave it a much needed push afterwards, but during the time mm. of its original release, I don't, and, and it's a shame because it had John Sykes, uh, a new young guitar player, came right from Tigers of yep. Pantang, uh, probably right. one of the heaviest albums I think that Lizzie has done. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience, uh, Thunder and Lightning, <laughs> Scott. Well, you know, I think, you know, that might have been a little bit of the problem. I think we're diverse a little bit too much in style. You know, we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say because of John Sykes, and that sounds terrible to be saying it like that, but, you know, he was a, you know, a heavy metal guitar player and very, very good at it, right? But, you know, I, I don't think Thin Lizzy was ever regarded as heavy metal in, in any sense of the word, right? So I think when some, you know, people, fans or whatever heard, you know, what was going on with this album, they were thinking, what's this? You know, I, I don't understand this kind of style at all, you know. But, uh, you, know, you know, we were having internal problems big time at this point. You know, I'm talking about me and Phil. We were having, you know, terrible drug problems at this point. And I'd already said to Phil, you know, we've got to knock this on the head. You know, uh, we've we've spent too many years kind of building up our you know reputation as this live act. And I just recently had heard you know a couple of you know not professionally done, but you know uh, tapes of us playing live, and it just did not sound good to me. Uh, and I I had fear there. You know that we've done all this work, built up this reputation as this live act. And now we're just going to tear it down 
because of you know sloppy playing and you know and the drugs that have, have just ruined this, this whole thing. I said, Phil, we, we need to walk away from this. <clears throat> I don't know if permanently, but we need to walk away from this now, for at least for a while, and at least try to get our shit together. And of course, he did not want to know about this at all. He was adamant. Now we're fine. This is going to be okay. You know, we got new blood in the band. It's going to be good. And I, and that, that's when I had to say, well, Phil, I'm done. And because I knew, for personally, I, I had to get out. I had to save my ass. Right. I, I was, I was having a problem, a real problem. And he, he finally relented. You know, he said, man, I, I can't do this without you. And I said, well, we let's just end it now. And let's see what happens in, in like a year or 18 months or whatever. And he, he finally, okay, he finally, okay, that, that's what we'll do. But, you know, we can't just walk away cold like that. If we could do like one more album and one more tour, world tour, then that'll be the final goodbye. And, and I agreed to that, which I couldn't believe because I, I got to his house adamant that that's it. You know, we're done. And I walked out going, Oh my God, I just agreed to another album and another world tour. You know, what have I just done? You know, but <laughs> it, right. You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it yeah. saying that, I still think it was the right thing to do. I still think that the Defender of Lightning was a good album. I think there was a lot of really talented songs that, that, are, that are in that, uh, on that uh, roster of songs there. Uh, it's not a, an album that I'm ashamed of at all. In fact, I'm, I'm really proud of a lot of the stuff that's on that album. So I, I do think it was the right thing to do, uh, to do this one last album and then this one last uh, world tour. And I think John Sykes was, was great. I think he did a really great job on it. Uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guitar player. He's a great singer. And, uh, you know, I, I hope all the best for him in, in the future. All right. Uh, uh, Brian, why don't you give your take? Uh, I know this album means a lot to you. You put this out on your label and uh, being the final Thin Lizzy uh, studio record. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is definitely, it's an interesting record. I remember when it came out, you know, the whole new way to British heavy metal was at full force. And I think there were, you know, I don't know how much influence there was from outside, outside sources for this to be more of a metal record. And clearly, having John Sykes made it that way. But for me, I think side one of this record, we're going back to the old vinyl days, is one of the mm. strongest sides in, in for me, in Thin Lizzy history. Thunder and Lightning, this is the one the Sun Goes Down in Holy War. Mm. All four mm. tremendous songs. Sun Goes Down is definitely my favorite, you know, kind of ballady song. <clears throat> my favorite it. ballad of all time. It's such a yeah, that was, that, was Phil, that was Phil's favorite song in that album also. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. yeah, such a great song. And, and then you have, you know, Cold Sweat, which was, you know, a John Sykes song. Opening sites, you know, I absolutely love this record. It was again my our honor to be able to put these records out. And, and it, since it was really the final studio record for Thin Lizzy, was a going out on top of a really strong, amazing record. I think that's you know we look back in, in history, it's at a band like Thin Lizzy. It's it's I think some of the lore is you guys have really never made a bad record. Like there's a long career here of a lot of years, a lot of records. You never made a bad record. You probably stopped you know, at a time where some bands will make records afterwards that aren't so great and tarnish their legacy a little bit. Then this never did that. Well, thank you for that. No, I, I really, that, that's really kind words. I, I really, really appreciate that. So, and, and I agree. It, 
like I said before, I, it, it was a good record to to end with. I just wish that uh, you know Phil could have gotten gotten his shit together and you know come to his senses and and gotten himself some help because uh, who knows what uh, you know you might you might have been talking to him today instead of me you know which I, I truly wish was. Was happening right now. Not, not that I don't like talking to you guys, but uh, we would, we would yeah. make sure that, <laughs> yeah. that that Phil was there. We could, maybe we could have kept going, you know. But uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, history is. Phil wouldn't give us two hours. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, hey, Scott, I, I love that you said like you, you did feel a certain obligation to to put a button on things, at least you know for the time being. And as far as I, I mean, all the fans that I know, oh, we love this album for so many reasons. Uh, of course, Sykes coming in, who's you know really a, the perfect combination of, of Robo and Gary Moore, um, kind of on steroids, um, mm. coming in and and really kicking ass, um, top to bottom. The songs are all great. Uh, you know, we got to hear a bunch of these songs live on the Live Life album, which is a whole other conversation. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But this record is um, for for me as a fan, and tying into what Brian said with, with the new wave of British heavy metal, sort of you know coming on strong here. This this represented a new direction for Thin Lizzy, and for me in particular was a. Uh, you know, a great one. Like, wow, you know, Lizzie's really going for it. This, you know, I could just only imagine what was going to come after this record mm. because um, it really did take, you know, it was all the stuff you loved about Lizzie in the past, but, you know, maybe a little more, here's, you know, Lizzie in the present and, the, and, and, you know, a little more metal and, and this mm. is cool. Let's see the direction we, we take from here, which obviously, we never found out, but uh, that's that's what this album always represented for me. Absolutely, well, that's, I mean that, that that is so cool. You know, it just kind of proved to me, really, uh, you know, of all the different styles that uh, you know Thin Lizzy presented to everybody, that, that we really could play. You know, give me a challenge. You know, mm. throw something at me, and, and let's see if we can do this, right? And uh, you know, we we were able to do it. You know, if it went from uh, uh, a silly song like Deer Heart to Thunder and Lightning, you know, we were able to, you know, pull it off. And I'm, I'm actually really proud of all of us, all the guys that were involved in, in what we did, that, you know, we were able to, you know, pull these, you know, songs up in a, in a, in a you know, a pretty cool way, you know. So, yeah, I, I feel proud of us for, for being able to do that. And I'm particularly proud that, you know, being able to talk to guys like yourself who you so appreciate, uh, you know, what we went through, what what we were trying to do, you know, as our goal, and you guys got it, you understood, you know, what, you know, what we were trying to do, you know, there was, the, obviously, the mass majority of people maybe kind of didn't get it, you know, but, uh, you know, there's people like yourself who actually got it, that understood what we were trying to do, so thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Scott. And uh, I got to say, it's, uh, you know, Thunder and Lightning is one of my favorite Thin Lizzy records. And, and I agree, it definitely uh, goes in a heavier direction. But like you said, Scott, that was a great thing about Thin Lizzy is you guys, none of the Thin Lizzy records were the same. You kept evolving. 
and doing something different. But the, yeah, this album definitely still had that great Thin Lizzy formula, as, as uh, Brian yeah. says, especially on side one. Uh, this is the one, The Sun Goes Down, Holy War. Uh, so much diversity and different styles of music going through there. And, you know, The Sun Goes Down, I didn't realize that was you playing the solo on it until I saw you live. Yeah. Uh, Scott, yeah, that's, that's and that's cool. one of my favorite guitar solos. I just absolutely love that guitar solo oh, on that song. Man. Thank you so much. It, you know, and, and a lot of these songs on that album, uh, they're a lot more complicated to play than, than people actually realize. You know, there's a there's a tightness there and a, a complexity to a lot of these songs. I, I, when I went back and you know, kind of you know, reinvented Thin Lizzy a little bit. Uh, and we got into these songs. I thought, God damn, you know, these, <laughs> these are complicated songs. You know, what were we thinking about? You know, but uh, you know, once you got into it, you started playing them again. You started to reappreciate, you know, where our heads were at this point, and you know, and what we were trying to invent at this point. So, yeah, cool. But th but thank you for that. I, re I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, why don't we finish off uh, with a life album? Uh, live Life, uh, I guess uh, uh, it'd be titled. The uh, final Thin Lizzy album, also recorded in 83. Uh, again, another great iconic photo of Phil on the cover of that album. Uh, I know, that, as, as you mentioned, there were, you were a lot, lot of stuff you were going through at this time, Scott. But uh, briefly yeah. talk about that experience, uh, that recording. Was that also at, uh, where was that recorded at? Was that Hammersmith? Yeah, the, once again, that was, uh, that was a Hammersmith thing. And, I, you know, what it was supposed to be is, is supposed to be like, you know, the end of tour, you know, the end of Thin Lizzy, all the guitar players that are, you know, been with Thin Lizzy, get them all up on stage. And, uh, and I was just, I, I, my head was just in a really, really bad place. Uh, and the whole thing, unfortunately, just seemed like chaos to me. I, did, I really didn't want to be there. You know, we shouldn't be doing this in my head, you know. I remember, I think we had like one more show to do, which was maybe Germany. I think it was Germany. Yes, it was Germany. It was our last show ever. I remember being in the terminal and we were, we were getting our bags. And Phil said to me, right, so I'll see you in, in the studio so we can, you know, mix this thing. I said, no, <clears throat> Phil, I'm done. I don't care about this album. It's the one album I just never cared about. <clears throat> and I said, whatever you're going to do with this album, you, you go ahead and do it. I'm, I'm done, you know, and we both shook hands and I walked away and he walked away. And that's the kind of the sad thing in my mind. Uh, I always had this vision of, you know, the end of Finn Lucy, there was going to be, there was going to be a big party and, you know, balloons, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> poppers and all that all over the place and everybody drinking, and, you know, high-fiving each other and what it was in the end was just uh no you're not going to see me at the studio here we shook hands i grabbed my bag and i just walked out and it was like this really terrible terrible ending and i i just so regret that you know i just wish it would not have ended like that but you, you gotta understand the, the state of mind that i was in at this point i just i was done i was burned you know yeah, yeah. I, I, well, the, but but Scott, the good the goodness the goodness that comes out of it, and you know you you documented it in your book, and it's been documented you know in in many different places. But as a fan, 
man, what a send-off, you know, to have this great mix of the entire career, which included Thunder and Lightning, with Sykes playing guitar, with you, with Gary Moore, with everybody pretty much who had been involved with Thin Lizzy. I love this album. I know that, that you don't like the mix, but goddamn, when I put that on, man, uh, it's just a journey through time, and to me, it's just it's such a brilliant goodbye. So, although you know it didn't work for you at the time for for many reasons, um, as a fan listening, it's 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 such a joy. Well, you know something. Hear you say that, Don. You know, I have not listened to that album one time. Uh, with with you saying that, I I think I will actually put that album on and have a listen to it and submit. Yeah, it'll it'll obviously change my mind. But you know, the one thing I can take away from you know all of this is you know I got to play with some really incredible people, really incredible people through through years and years. I I just got to meet so many guys who were so talented at, at everything that they did. I, you know, I feel that I was completely blessed to be able to to do this. This kid from Glendale, California, for God's sake. Being able to play with all these really great players, I mean, who am I to be able to do that? You know, so, so, and, and to be able to talk to you guys who are, who are so into it, to, you know, once again, I'm really blessed that you know you guys, you know, you know, loved it the way you did, it, and I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for that. Oh, thank well, you. Well, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's our honor and pleasure to do this stuff. But and I agree completely with Don. It's always interesting for me to talk to musicians about gigs. Like, I'll go to a show. And I'll see the band. I think they're amazing. I'll go backstage, and they're like, oh, we were terrible tonight. And then sometimes the opposite happens. And it's just interesting to hear you being not into it, weren't into it. But I, I like Don. I think this record is truly amazing. I mean, you have well, to live up to Live and Dangerous, which is tough, but it's just such a great record. And we, we went in and, and we remastered it again. And this was probably the one that we spent a lot of time on. And Eddie did a, a phenomenal job, so much so that we always requested to have that mastering from the UK, from Japan. Everybody wanted to use that one when they did the reissues, which is good because it's it does sound a little bit better. But I thought the performances on all these songs were really quite brilliant, actually. Okay, well, like I say, you've inspired me to go back and <laughs> listen to the album. And thank you for that. I really, I really appreciate Yeah, it's just sad that the very last thing we ever did, I, I just walk away from it. So that's yeah. very... Well, you know, uh, unlike me, but uh, it, 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 it happened the way it happened, so I don't know what to say there, you know. Yeah. Well, I do want to take this opportunity just to say that, you know, you have, you and, and Finn Lizzie have had a major impact on my life. I probably would never be doing what I'm doing without being influenced so much by bands like Finn Lizzie. I know Metallica, Iron Maiden, on and on and on, might not have even existed either because of what you guys did and what you've done for the entire genre of rock and metal. I know there's thousands and thousands of us that say the same thing. So thank you for that. And also, I don't know what this means or, or what's happening, but there is a very large contingency of us who are working very, very hard and trying to get you guys in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is in all of our minds. I'm talking Metallica, Journey, Def Leppard, you know, on and on. It's a crime that this band's not even hardly mentioned to be in there. So I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I certainly hope it does, and there's definitely a lot of people out there trying to make it happen, because it's, in my mind, there's a few bands that need to be in that aren't in that are bad, but this, the biggest travesty is that Thin Lizzy's not in. Well, I, I, I'm lost for words here, you know, I, I just, 
you know, I, I, I was doing a fair few interviews last year, and the Hall of Fame thing kept coming up. And I, you know, why, why is this subject coming up? I, I don't understand what's going on. You know, why are they asking me this question? What do I think of the Hall of Fame? And, and I, I never had an answer for it. I almost kind of quickly just changed the subject because I didn't know where they were going with this. Because uh, nobody had mentioned to me that uh, that we were even, you know, mentioned for in the running for, for this kind of thing. But, so. You know, I, I would love to see, uh, you know, not me. I don't know why you deserve it, but, you know, I'd love to see my friend Phil Lyon, you know, in the Hall of Fame for, you know, all yeah, everything that he's done. I know that sounds a little mushy, right? But uh, but I really do think that uh, that guy, you know, really deserves to to be in there with with a lot of the great musicians that, that, that are mentioned in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, 100%. I really uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you, you guys, just, you know, pulling for us and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, the old saying, hey, it's good just to be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it's always a great cop out, but, you know. But I would like to see Phil's name in the in whole thing. It'd be special. Well, Metallica especially is leading the charge on that. They've got a, a pretty big say over there, amongst a lot of other people, you know, Eddie Trunk, and there's a lot of them, a lot of us on the, the committees and stuff. So I just want you to know that, that, that that's. Uh, being worked on. Like I said, whether it happens or not, you never know, but yeah. a lot of people that well, have, have back, because we all think they feel absolutely 1,000% as the rest of the match will be in the hall. So well, we'll thank, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. The guys in Metallica, <clears throat> Iron Maiden, all the guys. I know Joe Elliott's uh, involved in it, too. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, I've, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm lost for words on, on that one, you know. So <laughs> I'm not usually too lost for words, but on that one, I, I am a lot better. Don, you did you, did you have any uh, final comments before we? Uh, I mean, we could go on forever. That's <laughs> we're already over two yeah, hours I, in. Well, but. I, think we, I, I think we have, and I think you, me, and Brian could do another two hours. But uh, we'll let Scott off the hook, and uh, he knows how I feel about him. I was honored to do a couple weeks on the road with the guy, and. You know, when he came on that metal show, uh, you know, always a great honor. I'm, you know, I've told Scott this, um, you know, there's the Black Star Riders material to me, in my mind, you know, it stands up to the Thin Lizzy stuff. And, you know, when I did those couple weeks with you guys, uh, I was actually thrilled that there was only one Thin Lizzy song in the set because it meant, you know, this new chapter of your life, this new band had music that yeah. was worth playing and not just, hey, yeah, you will play five or six Black Star Rider songs and then, you know, play eight Thin Lizzy songs. So there's definitely, you know, hopefully 10 years from now we can have this same conversation going through the Black Star Riders catalog because that, uh, that stuff is really amazing uh, music too. So uh, well, we'll, we'll do this again. But Don, uh, you haven't quit the band, have you? <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm still, when, when, when you guys are ready to go back on the road, you know, as long as I get in the middle of the bunk, I'm, I'm, I'm Come on, man. It. Come on, man. You're our guy. Man. You can't quit the band. <laughs> I'm in. You're I'm the MC. I agree with you 100%, Don, about Black Star Riders. I think uh, for any band that does kind of a continuation of their previous band, uh, Black Star Riders is is the thin lizzie of 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 the uh new millennium it's uh fantastic stuff and i'm so glad that you carried on with that band uh scott and still doing uh shows with thin lizzie carrying on that great legendary name of 
than Lizzie. And uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on board for this and spending two and a half hours with us knuckleheads here uh, on this wow, podcast. Wow, yeah. anytime. <laughs> you're, you're my kind of knucklehead. You know, I, I, love all, I love all the boys at Black Star Riders. Uh, you guys are great, man. Anytime you want to talk, we'll we'll get the you know we'll start John again. No problem, man. All Just right. Give me a call. All right, guys. Well, it was a pleasure having you all on. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, uh, with that said, man, uh, good luck with everything, Scott, and definitely keep us posted on the future. And, and Brian, keep pushing for that uh, uh, Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch base, like you said, maybe in a few years, uh, talk about uh, BSR. <laughs> cool, man, cool. Hey, I love you guys. You guys take care. Stay safe, okay? All right, gentlemen. Be well, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 See ya. Thank you for listening to the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. Subscribe and listen to all episodes by going to our pages on iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, Spotify, and more. You can listen to all other episodes and access up-to-date information and news on the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast by going to our website at www.shockwaveskullsessions.com. Email all comments, questions, and suggestions to shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com.